Welcome to episode 15. It's been a little while between episodes. I've gone back old school as in when I first uh, started recording the podcast, I would do it in my wardrobe, which I didn't know at the time, but apparently the acoustics are better because the clothes make it a bit softer. Um, The difference is now I have a better microphone set up, but I'm still just recording into my voice memos, so not that much has changed. I actually was looking back at the podcast episodes. I was trying to um, do a bit of forward planning because I haven't really put that much thought into the podcast, to be honest. And I think the first episode I did was the 11th of October last year. So it's almost a year. And it's funny because I'm actually holding an event on the 11th of October just by coincidence. So um, that event if you're listening to this podcast before the 11th of October, is called The Art of Sharing and it's going to be held in Newcastle at Leader Gallery and it's all about IP. So I work a lot with small business owners that are creating courses or memberships or even in just the professional services that they're providing. There's intellectual property that they're creating and it always feels like a bit of this wild, wild west kind of situation that business owners don't really know what they can do or how far they can push it and people are just out there sharing their work for free. So it's a really interesting topic and I think what I want to do with this event is to help people have some basic understanding of IP so that you can have a bit more confidence in choosing whether you follow it up or if you just let the copycats be. So if you want some more info on that, I'll put that in the show notes, but that's not actually the topic for today. Um, There's some other stuff that I've been working on, but I might do that as a separate episode. But yeah, the event is coming up. Um, And yeah, as I said, I've been doing a bit of a schedule for the podcast because it's been a little bit on a whim. I started off really strong and then, you know, things get in the way as they do. But today's podcast episode, what I wanted to talk about, and I actually shared this in an email to my email list a little while ago, and it's this concept of why does everyone hate lawyers and used car salespeople? (laughs) That was the title of the email. So I wanted to, if you've seen that email, I'm going to kind of go through that story again and talk about that a little bit more. But I also, if you haven't been getting my emails, you can sign up to those. They're not what you expect from a lawyer. I think it's safe to say. There's sometimes a little bit of legal content in there. Other times it's just stories that I'm sharing um, about my work. So if you're curious, you can sign up. It's obviously free. So just need to allow me to be in your inbox sometimes. So the story goes, (laughs) the reason I wrote this email is because I was thinking back to a time, I think I had just finished school and I was about to get my first car. So out of interest, the first car that I learned to drive in was a Ford Telstar, 1985, the same year that I was born. It had been in my family since 1985. And as I started uni, it got me through year 11 and 12. I'd drive it to school. Um, It was a fantastic car. It had power windows and air conditioning for 1985 so it was pretty special but as I entered uni 
it started to fail on us. So we were looking at getting a new car. And my dad sometimes makes very irrational decisions, to be honest. He'll just go out and buy big things, but usually he's very sensible. Um, And he bought a Toyota Corolla at a car auction because it was a good deal, basically. It was a manual, mind you, and we hadn't been taught to drive manual, but my dad being the optimist that he was, he thought me and my sister, who are only a year and a half apart, we'd work it out. We'd figure it out (laughs) as an 18 and a 19-year-old off to uni in a manual car that they've never learned to drive. Uh, but I think we somehow, I don't, look, I don't even remember the full details, but somehow we probably complained or maybe we even shed a tear or two that we would not be able to drive this car, that we didn't want it. And so he got it for a pretty good price at the auction. So he thought, oh, well, look, let's trade it in and we'll get you a different, different car. And he said to me, okay, come on, Amelia, you're going to come with me to the car yard. It was my kind of first time going into a car yard. I felt it was a very intimidating place because I knew that the reputation of used car salespeople was that it was very pushy and they would try and get the sale. And I didn't like confrontation. I still don't. I mean, who does like confrontation? And I think my dad was using it as a bit of a teachable moment, you know, he's considers himself a pretty good negotiator. And we went to this car yard and there was a young guy that was the sales person. And we walked in and I could already, I already felt a bit uncomfortable. There was just the power dynamic of, I guess he could see my dad, he was older than him and wanting to kind of set his place in this transaction. So we kind of went back and forth and look, we weren't really desperate to sell this car or to trade it in. I think I'd, my dad would have forced us to drive it if, if it wasn't the right price, right? So it's not as if we're going into this desperate to get the car off our hands. And so I think that put the car salesman off a little bit because his usual tactics weren't working with us. And as I said, my dad's a pretty good negotiator. He was pretty staunch in his in his position too and I was watching this whole thing um, happen and I remember right at the end he you know we basically my dad basically said okay this is the last amount that we'd be happy to take you know see what you can do so he used the I guess the classic line of I'll go check with the manager Um, who knows if he actually did it was you know behind closed doors so uh, he came back out and almost had a, a funny grin on his face. And I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe maybe something's happening here. And he walked over really confidently with somewhat of an arrogant stance, shook my dad's hand and said, congratulations, you're the owner of a Toyota Corolla. And in that moment, I cringed so hard. It was so – it was awkward. It was made – to feel like I felt like we'd done something wrong. Like obviously my dad's sitting there, he didn't care because like I said, if it wasn't the right price, we weren't going to trade in the car. But for me, it was a really defining moment where I was like, oh, I do not like how this person made me feel in this situation. Um, And look, I was 19 at the time. I could have been naive, could have been taking it a little bit too personally, but 
I felt like the whole situation was made to to make us feel smaller or silly for asking the thing the you know the price that we had so it's one of those things that stuck with me my entire life and especially as I entered the workforce the way that you make people feel um, is really powerful and you know they often say that I don't know the stat but it's you know 90% of communication is body language and not even the words that you say and it was a real defining moment of that of a sense of it wasn't it wasn't just the words that he said I mean it was kind of a little bit wanky what he said but it was more of the the posture that he'd taken and the way he'd it always was theatrical to make it seem like a big deal so um you know he could have come over and said hey guys sorry we can't match the price you know good luck um you know wish you wish you luck thanks for coming in but it was yeah it was a really defining moment for me and as I said it's something that I took with me as I was entering the workforce so once I finished uni and thinking about how how the customer or the client journey is also really important and I guess the so in the email where I spoke about this um, event I also talked about a kind of a key thing that happened early on in my career as well that has really stuck with me and these are things that still guide me in how I'm, I do my work and I am really conscious of because of that situation with the used car salesperson I am really conscious of make how I make people feel not making people feel like they are small or smaller or less than or making them feel humiliated because they've asked a question or judgmental so that was a really important thing that has stuck with me and then the second time that I guess was really important in my career was I remember being asked to sit in on a client meeting with one of the partners and this was really exciting because I love to learn by watching and I thought this is going to be fantastic this this person really knows what they're talking about it was a really interesting topic as well or interesting matter that the client was coming in to talk about and I just finished uni so if anyone's been through a university degree you probably realize that once you finish that degree you don't really know a lot in the real world sense you know there's a lot of on-the-job training you need to do yes uni gives you some guidance on how to research and some basic principles but I was pretty much in the same position as this client, not having any idea about the area of law that they were going to see the lawyer about. So I thought, wow, this is going to be a great chance for me to learn about this area of law to see how this partner communicates and interacts with a client in real time. Because prior to that point, I'd been stuck reading documents, doing research, standing at the printer. That's another story for another day. And I was very excited as I said so we go into the meeting I had my yellow legal pad my pen ready ready to take all the notes absorb all of the information and the meeting started off you know usually the lawyer is kind of explaining or getting some instructions from the client so they can give some advice and I could see the client asking some questions and I remember thinking oh that's good questions like I'm interested to know what the answer is the lawyer would give a response and then the client would ask some more follow-up questions 
And after a little bit of this back and forth, I could sense, because I was also having the same feeling, that the client's questions weren't exactly being answered. Or there were parts that the client was focused on that the lawyer might have brushed over because in their experience and in their mind, it wasn't actually relevant or didn't really make much of a difference to the particular matter. But for some reason, the client was fixated on that and wanting to get a response on it. And as it went on, I I started to sense and feel that the same frustration as the client. I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not understanding this. I've got a law degree. And as I said, even though that probably doesn't count for much, even with that basic knowledge, there were things that I didn't understand and, and thought, oh, why is that the way that it is? Or why aren't we able to give a clear answer on these things? I had the benefit of afterwards then going to the lawyer and maybe asking about some of those things as a learning exercise. But it was a really important moment for me to see that as experienced as lawyers are, we do need to make sure that the client understands us. And there is a bit of a bridge, um, a, a bit of a gap to be bridged, I guess, is <laughs> the saying. I'm losing my words. And I, I think in that moment, I also decided that as however experienced I got and however um, knowledgeable I got in a particular area, it was really important for me to make sure that I pictured myself in that meeting room as someone with no experience and put myself in the client's shoes and make sure that if a client asks a question, I explain to them why it may not be as important as they think it is and give them an explanation for that. Because that's often I found a bit of the gap is that clients will think something's really important and, you know, us lawyers, we know, you know, maybe that's, it's not, it's not an issue or it's not a concern in the way things go, but the client needs to be told that and needs to feel comforted that they've had that question answered. So it was really interesting to me that even someone who I really admired and who was very knowledgeable, there were still ways to improve how they were speaking to clients. And they certainly didn't make the client feel silly or embarrassed, but the way that the meeting went, I could see that as the client's question wasn't being answered, they tried asking it in a couple of different ways, they just shut down. And that's that shutting down in, of communication is really not what you want when you're trying to give legal advice. You need your client to be communicating with you and telling you all the things because I often have clients say to me, oh, I don't know if this is important or I don't know if I should tell you this. Sometimes it is because you don't know what you don't know when you're in the client seat and it's not for you to try and pick out what information is important. You're meant to tell everything to your lawyer and then they can decide, okay, yes, this is relevant, this is not relevant, this is why it's not relevant and all those types of things. So it was another very important time in my career that always stands out in my mind about how I wanted to develop as a lawyer. And it's not just about being the best technically. Um, there are some really important skills that I think uh, every person that's in a service-based business needs to learn as well. 
And I had, I guess, the fortune or misfortune of learning those emotions and feelings firsthand. And I think that's been uh, the situation for a lot of my career is that I've often developed a way of doing things based on how I never wanted something to happen again. So, you know, we learn by making mistakes or we learn by being in tricky situations that we don't want to happen to us again. So that's why I say fortune and misfortune. It's sometimes the only way to learn is the painful way, but it's really been really defining in how I wanted to practice law. I didn't want to get stuck in this intellectual space where I'm not listening to people or I'm making people feel less than because they don't have the degree that I do. Because the whole point of me having the skills that I do is to help other people and to help them understand the complex area of law. So I think I might leave it there today. I think there's, it's such a big topic for me because I think that particularly in law, there's a perception of who a lawyer is. And because it is such an old industry, it traditionally was, um, well, men to start off with and from elite or high, um, the higher class backgrounds, but it's certainly not the case like that anymore. Um, So yeah, it's something that I'm really interested in kind of breaking down those stereotypes, but I thought I would share these two particular um, times that have been really influential on my career and my life. And as I said, I've shared the story, you know, in text form over email. Um, It's always a little bit different, I guess, talking about these things too. But if you are interested in getting those emails, I'll leave a link in the description or the show notes below and you can check that out but um yeah I'm gonna leave it there as I said I've got some other episodes actually lined up so just need to make sure I find the time to do all that but I hope that you enjoyed that little story time with me and I'll catch you on the next episode